we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is John Wahala, Assistant Director of the Center, and this week we're going to be talking about the latest numbers, showing that the foreign-born population reached 47.9 million in September, a record high in American history. Joining me today is Dr. Stephen Camerata, Director of Research at the Center, to discuss this level of immigration and its implications. Steve, thank you for coming on the show today to discuss this development. Well, thanks for having me, John. It's good to be with you. Let's start with an explanation of the data. Where did these numbers come from and how were they derived? Right. So there are several data sources that the Census Bureau or the government, you could say, uses to study the overall size of the foreign-born population. This data set is what's called the Current Population Survey. The public probably knows it best as the Household Survey used to measure employment. But they do survey everybody every month in this survey. And it's a very large survey, 50,000 plus households. And so, you know, well over 100,000 people are in the survey. And starting in 1994, they asked people about their citizenship, where they were born and so forth. And that allows anyone who wants to use the data to identify the foreign born. The foreign born, that's the term the government generally uses, the Census Bureau and others, are people who are not U.S. citizens at birth. And we can identify them in this data. And that includes anybody who was, say, is a naturalized citizen, a a green card holder, that's the long-term permanent resident. It includes some number of guest workers. And yes, it does include illegal immigrants. The government, including the Census Bureau and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, for whom the Census Bureau gathers this data, both acknowledge the inclusion of illegal immigrants in the data. There's always a debate about how many get missed, and we can discuss that later. But most think that the vast majority of illegal immigrants are captured in this data, as they are in some other government surveys. So this is done every month. So it does give us a snapshot anyway that's very up to date. We have data through September, and we've analyzed it here at the center. The data is publicly available soon after the unemployment numbers come out, and we've downloaded it and run our own numbers, and that's what we're going to be discussing today. So the quality of the data when you're talking about any public policy issue is critical. And so what you're saying is that these numbers, I mean, oftentimes the federal government makes it very difficult to tease out the immigration trends, but these numbers are derived officially from the federal government's analysis. Yeah, it's our analysis of the federal government's data. So what are the issues with this data? Well, look, the way I would answer that is whatever the issues are with this data, they're the same issues that we have when we talk about the unemployment rate or the labor force participation rate, because this is the same data. Are the data perfect? No data set is, but most people, myself included, think the data is pretty good and it gives us a pretty clear picture 
of what's happening both in the U.S. labor market, but also in American society in general. Now, this may be way more detail than folks want. Every March, the government attempts to use this data. They they oversample minorities. They ask a host of extra questions in the monthly data. That's where we usually get like poverty numbers from, income numbers from, things like health insurance coverage. This is what's called we're using here. It's just the basic or core file that is collected every month that, again, is used for unemployment. But it doesn't just include people of working age. It includes old people, young people. The only people it doesn't include are people in prisons and nursing homes. We refer to them as the institutionalized population. They are not in this data. But for our purposes here, it probably doesn't make that much difference. So we have reliable data that now shows a record number of the foreign born in the United States. So what are your key findings? Right. So as you said, we're at nearly 48 million in September. That's foreign born individuals, again, legal and illegal. That is the highest number ever recorded in any U.S. government survey or census. And it's 2.9 million larger than in January of 2021 when President Biden took office. We can say that about 60% of this increase is from countries in Latin America. That would be the Caribbean, South America, and Central America, but not Mexico. The number of Mexican immigrants in the United States declined actually very, very slightly, but it declined. 60% of the growth is non-Mexican Latin America. So that's pretty important. And we also preliminarily estimate that about 61% or 1.8 million of the growth in the foreign-born since January of 2021 are illegal immigrants. So huge increase. This 2.9 million, 1.8 million seems to be new illegal immigrants. Can't say that with certainty, but we have very good reason to believe it's got to be about that. Could be a little less, but it could be a little more. But what that tells us is more than half of the growth is new illegal immigrants. However, it's important to note that of the overall immigrant population, it's still overwhelmingly composed of legal immigrants. About three quarters of the 48 million or nearly 48 million foreign-born or immigrants, I'll just use those words interchangeably here, about three-fourths are legal immigrants. So although illegal immigrants are driving the numbers up quite a bit, legal immigrants are still coming. They make up like 40% or 39% of the growth recently, and they make up 75% of the overall existing stock of immigrants in the United States. So illegal immigrants are included in these numbers. How do you capture that population in the data? Right. There are several different ways. We use a very straightforward method. So we have, based on information the government's released, a pretty good idea of how many legal immigrants there are in the United States, various categories, various types. And at the same time, we have a pretty good idea of how many new legal immigrants have arrived, whether that's permanent residents or people coming in as foreign workers or uh, students and so forth, cultural exchange. So we can measure how many people have arrived since, say, January of 2021 and how many were here, and we can get a pretty good idea of how many legal immigrants are in the country, and we subtract that from these numbers and we get a residual, a leftover, and that's the basis for our illegal estimate. Now, you might have to adjust that for what you think is the undercount, and there's more wrinkles in it than that. But essentially, you know about how many legal immigrants there are in the United States. We don't have a precise measure of that, let me make clear. So 
the extra, the people who can't be legal, because we know how many legal there are, and there are a heck of a lot more extra people in this data, and they tend to be exactly what you might predict of the illegal immigrant population. They are predominantly from the Western Hemisphere, but not exclusively. Some countries like China and India both send significant numbers of illegal immigrants. Canada has some, Europe has some, Africa. There are illegal immigrants from everywhere, but they're predominantly somewhere around 70% of all illegal immigrants in America are from the Western Hemisphere. We have a pretty good picture of those things, and that's how we can come up with a reasonable estimate of illegal immigration. But always remember, there is error around those numbers. Looking at this report, which is, by the way, available on our website at cis.org, but was the rate of increase in the foreign-born recently since January of 2021 when Biden took office. Nearly 3 million immigrants, you say, have entered since then. Does the increase in illegal immigration account for this recent increase of immigration? Well, let me just correct you on one thing. It is not that 2.9 million immigrants arrived in the United States. That is the net increase. The number of new immigrants who arrived over this 20, 21 month period has to be significantly greater because in the existing stock of immigrants, there has to be about 450,000 deaths, given that it's a human population. And we can predict that based on its age, structure, and gender, and a few other things. So it has to be that significantly more came than 2.9 million because you have to overcome the offsetting of deaths. In addition, some number of immigrants leave every year. That number had usually been reckoned to be about a million. Now, that's a lot leaving, but when you have a population of people over 40 million, that's only one or 2% of the population leaving each year. We don't know exactly what happened without migration or emigration or return migration, all terms for basically the same thing. But if a million people went home and 450,000 died, then you would have to add that 1.45 million to the 2.9 million to get the actual number of new arrivals. Put it this way, for the immigrant population to grow 2.9 million, you've got to have at least four, four and a half million arrivals minimum. So that gives you an idea of the scale of immigration to the United States. It has to be that big if the growth numbers are correct, and we, we think they are. Now, we also know some other things, right? We know that 2.5 or roughly 2.5 million encounters occurred at the southern border. This is a new record. It exceeded last year, which was, you know, nearly was approaching 2 million last year. So we know that there's a massive surge of illegal immigration. We also know from court documents that about 1.3 million people were released into the United States by the Biden administration at the southern border. Now, that does not include people who make it past the border patrol. We don't know how many people that is, but there is this category called gotaways. The government does not release much information on that, but probably since January of 2021, something like 900,000 gotaways there's been. That is people the Border Patrol observed, but never stopped. They successfully entered the country as far as we can tell. That has got to be a rough estimate. It could be a lot more one way or the other, but it's a big number. In addition to that, Long-term temporary immigrants are settling in the United States, some of which don't go home when they're supposed to, and they're what's called an overstay. This happens with tourists, too. So 
We know there has to be some new visa overstays. We know there's some significant number of gotaways. And we know that we released 1.3 million people in the country. So you can see how easy it is for the illegal population over this time period to grow by 1.8 million. So these numbers are really striking. I know a lot of people see mass immigration as sort of a inevitability of the modern economy or modern world, but clearly it seems like the administration's policies or lack of policies on enforcement have contributed to this increase. Is this increase this rate of increase in the foreign-born population over the last two years, the largest that it's ever been. Yeah, I mean, we can't say with absolute certain if this is like the most dramatic 21-month period, but it probably is. So, yes, in that sense, it looks like we've never had it grow quite this fast over quite such a short period of time. Now, the other important aspect, and I don't know if you were going to ask me this, but I'll just volunteer is another way of thinking about immigration is not just the numbers, it's percentages, right? What is the percentage of the U.S. population that is foreign-born? And the latest data show 14.6%. How does that compare? Well, it's the highest percentage in 112 years. It means that about one out of every seven U.S. residents is foreign-born. As recently as 1990, it was one in 13 U.S. residents, not so long ago. So as a share of the population, immigration is increasing really dramatically. If present trends continue, the foreign-born share, not just the number, but the share, will reach 14.9% of the U.S. population in probably August of next year, If you know, again, if you just project it out, and that will surpass the all-time highs reached in 1910 and 1890, both are around 14.7, 14.8%. We're going to blow past that. And again, we presumably are going to continue to increase thereafter. So in a very real sense, America is headed into uncharted territory as a share of the population. Numerically, we've been in uncharted territory for a long time, but you know our population was smaller in the past. So if you're thinking that all that matters is the share, then we're basically at the record now. In the lifetime probably of your grandmother, it hasn't been this high for most people. But we are there now, and it looks like we're you know, going to be headed into uncharted territory. And my grandmother lived to 102, so that's quite a long time. And I know that people for years have argued that as long as we don't eclipse this percentage then we're fine. I remember having a professor in college lecture the class when I brought up the immigration numbers and talked about their implications. And he said, it's fine as long as we don't go past this percentage. So do you think this is going to, when we go by this, do you think that this will affect the way policymakers think about the issue? Um, I don't know. I mean, the reality is that in my view, Numbers, the number of immigrants living here is the most important issue because it's what ultimately determines the impact on hospitals and schools, on our culture, on our politics, and every other thing. Numbers is what matters, right? If you're concerned about the environment and wonder what it'll mean to add millions of people to the population, again, numbers is, of course, what matters. It should be obvious. But we don't seem to have as much public discourse, really not much at all, about numbers. 
People are obsessed with legality, which is certainly important to be sure, or they focus a lot on compelling human interest stories of the immigrants or the desire of businesses to bring in more foreign workers. But the issue of what is the absorption capacity of the United States, whether it's our culture or our roads and bridges, whether it's our schools or hospitals, we don't have much discussion of that, unfortunately. And obviously, it's numbers that really drive the impact in those areas. But unfortunately, we just don't have much discussion of the numbers. Well, the numbers are huge, as you point out. In the report, you say one in five U.S. residents, approximately 65 million people, are an immigrant themselves or a child of immigrants. That's a young child of an immigrant under the age of 18. Okay. So let's talk about some of these things. How does bringing in all these people in general affect things like, let's say, the labor market for Americans, particularly low-skilled Americans? Right, right. So the question of the impact of immigration on the labor market is a longstanding and difficult debate. What we can say is that as immigration has increased since the 1960s, one of the most troubling trends in the U.S. labor market has been a precipitous decline, pretty steady, regardless of the state of the economy, in the labor force participation of less educated men. These are men without a college degree. They make up still the majority of men in America don't have a college degree. So labor force participation, I think it's used in a couple different ways, but the typical way and the most important is the share of working age people. So excluding children, excluding the elderly, just working age people who are actually working or at least looking for work. If you're not looking and you're not working, then you drop out of the labor force. And that's important. For example, you don't show up in the unemployment numbers. Unemployment is only based on people who said they actively looked in the last four weeks. If you didn't look in the last four weeks, you may be of working age. You might be able to work. You may have worked last year. You may still want to work, but you are not unemployed in the data. And that's really important. And what we've seen is an explosion of people, particularly men, but I'll discuss women in a second, who don't have a college degree, who are not in the labor force. So they do not show up in unemployment numbers. There's, you know, a lot has been written about this, probably in my opinion, not enough. Nicholas Eberstadt's book a few years back, he's an economic analyst and demographer at AEI, American Enterprise Institute. Nick has done a lot of work in this area. But others have as well. As I recall, the title of his book is Men Without Work and the explosion of non-work. Everybody agrees. Well, I think everyone agrees is a very negative thing. And let's be clear. It is not being caused by men staying home to take care of young children. First off, only a small fraction of men do that and they tend to be more educated. But the second thing is that the big increases in non-work is among unmarried men who don't have children or don't at least live with their children. The second thing to keep in mind is we actually have surveys. We know what men who don't work do all day. And men who don't work don't do very much. They seem to spend a lot of time watching TV and so forth. And we also know that this massive increase in men not working and not looking is associated with everything from the opioid crisis to crime from obesity to the rise in suicides. The social impact of this non-work is enormous and destructive. Now, I should point out that obviously it's a complicated relationship. 
as obesity and disability, an opioid epidemic, and crime and depression, and then suicide, tragically, have all gone up, it's obviously made it harder for these people to work. But at the same time, they're not working has intensified and exacerbated all these things. So it's complex factors interacting in complex ways. But everybody agrees the trend is bad. Now, does immigration crowd Native people out of the labor market? Almost certainly yes. Does it help hold down wages and reduce the incentive to work? The evidence seems to suggest yes. So there's going to be a debate about all that. But the fact is, immigration, again, exacerbates or aggravates this long-term social problem that we have. At the same time, what immigration is letting us do is ignore it. Even if you think, I don't think immigration has any effect on wages. If you think, look, I don't think it's crowding anybody out of the labor market. If you really think that, okay. But what it undoubtedly is doing is letting us ignore this massive social problem. Just to give you one example, if the same fraction of people were in the labor force today as were in the labor force, say, in 2020, not that long ago, then we would have at least 7 million more people in the labor force. By the way, for women without a college degree, as you might guess, their labor force participation rose until about 2000. And since 2000, it has fallen in a manner somewhat similar to men. And if you're thinking, well, maybe all these women are staying home and taking care of kids, remember, just like men, it's the women who don't have children who tend to see some of the more pronounced declines, though it's true that women with children see some decline. It seems to be a very broad social phenomenon. It seems to me that the labor market effects are wide and complicated. And as you pointed out, there are a lot of pathologies that are a problem for a lot of Americans that are being exacerbated potentially by this large influx that we're experiencing. And I wanted to ask you, because I know over the many years you've studied this, you point out that immigration is one of the irreversible public policies. And what you mean by that, I think, is that at least in theory, any other public policy can be amended or revoked. But once an immigrant comes here and he brings his family, he becomes part of the American fabric. He becomes part of our story. This is what makes immigration great. It's what makes immigration monumental. But it also, when you have this kind of level of immigration, it is a major story. So where do you think, if you could summarize, are we headed? Do you think that the level is going to continue to go up? What will our society look like with this level of immigration? Yogi Berra, I suppose he said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Obviously, no one knows what's going to happen. But it seems likely that both legal immigration is going to increase, partly because there was less legal immigration during COVID. So some of that is a kind of rebound. The administration is doing things to make it easier for people to enter. So that plays a role. But on the illegal sides, it seems likely that the ongoing border surge is going to continue. Let me say this about that. For a lot of Americans, particularly more people who are Democrats or progressive, they think of immigrants as essentially somewhat one-dimensionally as desperate people in desperate circumstances making desperate acts to come to America. And that sometimes is true. But 
it's a gross simplification and not always the most helpful way to think. Because what immigrants often are, especially the illegal immigrants who traverse Mexico to come into the United States, they're also rational risk takers. There's people who've made a decision that whatever dangers are involved in the trek, it's worth it because if I make it to the border, it's very likely that I'll slip past the Border Patrol. Or if I'm caught by the Border Patrol, everything I hear is they're going to release me. And once in the United States, I'm not going to be sent home. So you're taking people who are rational risk takers and you're changing the calculus. You're saying, well, you're not supposed to come, but if you do, you'll probably get by. But if you don't, we'll probably release you. And once here, we're not going to make you leave. Well, we've changed the calculus. And so now we're getting a record number of people showing up at the border. It's not surprising. So it seems that at least as long as President Biden is president, that we're going to be getting a lot of illegal immigration. So certainly we've covered a lot of material and there's a lot more material to cover. The report, again, is on our website at cis.org. The author is Stephen Camerata and Karen Ziegler. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. And I would encourage the listeners to go to the website and read the report. That concludes this episode of Parsing Immigration Policy. Tune in next week for our next episode. <laughs>